This morning, we're going to be looking at one of the most important passages in the Gospel of Matthew, and maybe one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. In this passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, Jesus tells us about his relationship to the Old Testament, how he and his work relate to the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scripture of God's people. And he draws specific attention to the law and how the law is preparing us to understand his work, his sacrifice, and his teaching. You see, the people of God loved the law, the the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, because God gave them this book, these books, directly from himself. What an incredible gift that God would speak through the great prophet and leader Moses to give the people of God this word, these words, an understanding of of what was expected of them and being the people of God and what it would look like to walk in covenant relationship with him. You take seriously a gift given to you by God, right? I mean, I think about in my own life, when Jordan gives me a gift, when, when Jude or Julia give me a gift, that's my family if you don't know, I take those gifts pretty seriously because of who those people are to me. And if that's true of gifts that we get from earthly figures, as much as we love them, how much more should we take seriously? How much more should we value and love a gift given to us by God, the divine creator of the universe? These are words directly from our God to help us know him and to walk in relationship with him. And the fact that God took the time in his grace to reveal himself and his expectations through the word, through the law, should call us to take seriously the word of God and celebrate it, to study it, to love in it, to delight in it. And that's exactly what the people of God did. So they did. They delighted in the law of the Lord. They loved the word of the God. They wanted to take it seriously and obey it in order to please God, at least initially. They studied it so much, they discovered there were 613 commandments given to the people of God in the first five books of the Bible, 248 positive commandments and 365 negative commandments. And they saw it as their responsibility to be obedient. In fact, they were so careful and so desirous to be obedient to this law, they created other laws and other teachings surrounded it to make sure they were being as obedient as was humanly possible in order to please God. The writings became central to their life and their practice. But over time, the devotion to the law, the love for the law of the Lord began to reveal a problem in the people of God that Jesus came to solve. And striving to obey the law, the people of God began to miss the point of the law. And rather seeing it as a a way to know and to to relate to and, and glorify God and walk in covenant relationship with him, they saw the law as a means to earn his favor and set themselves apart from other people around them And the hope of being amplified in the face of God. And listen, this is the nature of sin, isn't it? When sin comes into the picture, this is 
what happens between human beings. We demean one another in order to elevate ourselves. And that's what the law was being used for, to to show, hey, I'm better than these people over here. So certainly God thinks better of me if I'm being more obedient to the law than they are. And their self-righteousness began to cause them to say, not look how great our God is, but look how great I am in relation to my brother or sister. Or look how bad they are. Surely God must be pleased with me and not pleased with them. And in so doing, they missed the whole point of the law. They missed all that God was trying to teach us through the giving of the law and the prophets, situating ourselves rightly before a holy and righteous God and seeing our need for his grace. But Jesus has come to correct this misunderstanding. Jesus has come as our our greater teacher and our greater prophet to help us understand the true meaning of the law and the true purpose of the law. He reminds us, through the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels that record his teaching, that everything, everything that God did through the Old Testament and the writings of the law and the accompanying writings of the prophets, everything that they did was meant to prepare us for the greater work that God was going to do in Jesus. The whole of the Old Testament is pointing us to Christ. And hopefully, if you've been walking with us for any period of time here at First Baptist Church of Irving, that's not a surprising revelation to you. The Old Testament matters because it prepares the way for Christ. The law matters because it prepares us for Christ to understand what he is teaching and what he has come to do. He is the point of the scripture. All of God's redemptive activity has been leading us to Jesus. And this morning, We're going to see from Christ's words himself, his understanding and his his affirmation of that truth that I just proclaimed to you, that the law, the prophets, all of them were preparing us to understand the earthly ministry of Jesus, his bodily sacrifice, his resurrection, the full redemptive work of God that has been put on display in Christ. So let's see how the law accomplishes this from Christ's teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Here's what the word of God says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, the smallest markings in the Hebrew language, none of them will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus comes into the world, he offers a new work for the people of God. It's revolutionary what God is doing through Jesus. It's startling to people who thought they had an understanding of what God wanted to do and now are seeing something radically different in Christ. 
everything that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is different than the people of God expected until Christ came. And it's so different, it's so radical, it's so contrary to what they had been taught that some of the people probably were asking the question, is Jesus offering a new religion? Is there any consideration for what God gave to us in Moses? As the new prophet, is, is Jesus just discarding everything that Elijah said and Isaiah said and Jeremiah said? Is there, is there any regard that we should have for the law and the prophets in our life in light of what Jesus is saying? It's so different than we've learned. It's so different than, than our understanding was when we were reading the Old Testament or hearing it preached over us. That he must be offering something entirely new. And Jesus, anticipating their questions, seeing their concerns, gives this answer in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, to do away with it. No, I've not come to do that to the law of the prophets. I've come to fulfill them, not abolish them. To fulfill them. Jesus came to fulfill the law, to fully reveal the plan of God's salvation, the redemptive work that he had been unfolding since time began. It's a powerful statement. He's not doing away with the law. Rather, he's showing us the importance of it and understanding the redemptive work of God. And so what we're gonna be able to do this morning through the, the teaching of Jesus is understand how all the elements of God's revelation, all the elements of God's word have been pointing to this moment to prepare us and the people listening to Jesus in this time to understand what he is going to do and what God is going to do through him. We're gonna to get to do a little biblical theology. It's really exciting. I love this kind of work where we, we get to see the whole of the Bible as, as one story and how all of it is being fit together to, to glorify God, to see his majesty and what he has been doing in his interaction with man the entire time. I'm excited about it because for a long time I didn't get it. And when I was growing up, I didn't see how all of this fit together. Even I would say in seminary, my first stint in seminary anyway, I, I did not fully understand how all the Bible worked together to, to help me know more fully what God had done for me in Christ. I related to a puzzle. Anybody in here like puzzles? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. So over the past couple of years, I've gotten more into puzzles. I think puzzles are probably a great way to pass the time during COVID because you can be isolated as long as you're not passing and sneezing on pieces around to one another. It's a, a great thing and, and it can take a long time. And uh, as, I've, as I've gotten in the rhythm of putting puzzles together, I've noticed a practice about how to do them well. Last year, we were on vacation, and we had this 2,000-piece, or was it 1,000-piece? 2,000. 2,000-piece puzzle that we were trying to do in a week. We didn't finish. But here's what, I was, here's what I was doing. I was trying to put the puzzle together by studying the pieces and figuring out where each particular piece 
fit, right? If you've done a puzzle that big, you know that the smaller the piece, the more difficult it is to figure out where you put it. And so you try to find every possible detail that you can know about that piece. And so you want to know where the markings are, what colors are in it. If there's a foot, if there's a foot in the picture, there's even like a piece or a a shoelace in there. You're trying to learn every single thing you can about that puzzle piece to know how it fits in the larger picture. And the only way really you can figure out where that little puzzle piece fits is by also knowing the larger picture. So the way that all those little pieces are little markings on that small piece, the way they have significance for me in my mind in terms of how I'm putting the picture together is if I have a full view of the larger picture that informs what I'm looking at on the small piece. Now here's the way I grew up, at least in my own understanding. Here's the way that even through seminary, listen guys, I knew the puzzle pieces. I could, I could tell you this story. I could tell you that story. I knew the intricacies of those stories. I knew the intricacies of those teachings. I had the puzzle pieces down. But for the life of me, I could not figure out fully how they all related together. I couldn't see the big picture until someone graciously came along and said, hey, all those pictures, all those stories, all those intricate details... They're all pointing to Jesus. He's the picture on the front of the box that makes every single thing matter. And suddenly, these Old Testament stories that I had been reading that I thought were just moral teachings, just telling me how to behave, trying to be better, suddenly those teachings came to life. Because not only were they telling me what it looked like to be set apart for the kingdom of God, they were preparing me to understand the work of Jesus. And the meaning just amplified. It became brilliant light, what I was seeing in these stories and on the page. And that's what I hope happens for you. As we, as we look today and, and this passage, as we consider it more fully, as you, as you sit under the faithful teaching of this church and the ministry of the word, as you see how the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, all of them were pointing us to understand the work of Jesus and the salvation and the redemption that God was unfolding for us in Christ. And so that every other piece of the Bible suddenly makes sense because we've seen the full completion in Jesus. So let's do that. How does Jesus fulfill the law? I think there's at least three senses in which Christ fulfills the law that enable us to better understand his teaching and his work and the salvation that God has accomplished through them. Let me offer you the three senses and then we'll walk through them one by one, okay? So Jesus fulfills the law and that he is the end of the law. He is the, the culmination of the law, what the law and the prophets the entirety of the Old Testament have been pointing to. He is their climax, the crescendo of God's redemptive plan. Secondly, Jesus fulfills the law by obeying the law. He actually shows what it looks like to live righteously. He satisfies the righteous requirement of the law and thus fulfills the righteous standard given out to God, uh, from God to us. Finally, he reveals the full meaning of the law. He fulfills the law in that 
as the word of God, he gives the clearest and most authoritative expression of what the law means for those who follow Christ, for those who follow God. He brings the teaching to its proper end in his teaching. Okay, so Jesus is the end of the law. He obeys the law and he reveals fully the meaning of the law. In all those three senses, he fulfills the law. So let's consider them one by one for a moment. Firstly, Jesus is the end of the law. Again, I'm going to say it again. Every single thing that's happened in the Bible, the law, the prophets, all of it has been preparing us for the work that God was going to do in Jesus. To recognize him and to see what he has done for us that stirs us to hope, worship, joy, and secures our eternal life. In the law, God gives us a language, a culture, a way of relating to him that sets the stage for our understanding of the redemptive work that we needed and that he would accomplish in Jesus. Let me give you an example. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to turn there. And what I want us to see is how in this chapter, in Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews uses the language of the Old Testament to help us and his readers understand more completely what God has done for us in Jesus. What he's showing us is that the sacrificial system, the law and the sacrifices required for those who did not perfectly live the law, all of those things were preparing us to understand what God would do in greater ways through Jesus Christ. Listen to these verses in Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow, it's a a reflection, it's a, a foretaste of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It was always preparing for something greater. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not cease to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of this book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. And then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away, listen, with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, 
I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Praise the Lord. What a stunning set of verses that the author of Hebrews writes to us, helping us understand the work of Jesus. And do you notice in that verse, in those verses, how he utilizes the language of the Old Testament to help us understand what it is that God is doing for us in Jesus. He's using the sacrificial system to say on one hand, the sacrificial system was given to cover our sins. And yet every time a sacrifice of a goat or a bull was offered, it also made us aware that that sacrifice wasn't enough to cover the sin in our life. That the holy standard of God, the holy righteous uh, requirement of God was too much for any of us, any of us to actually achieve. And so every year, they would stand before these sacrifices and they would see God's gracious covering, but they would also be mindful of their sinfulness, all pointing us to a desire for a greater sacrifice whose name is Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God, who would not just cover our sins for a day or for a week or for even a year, but friends, hear me this morning. His sacrifice would cover our sins for all time. Praise the Lord. The author of Hebrews is saying, listen, his work as the high priest offering himself as the perfect spotless lamb in accordance with what God has set forth in the law is showing you the beautiful picture of God's redemptive plan that he has been unfolding for all time. What happens in Matthew chapter 5 is not a new game plan. It's not God reevaluating and, and changing what he wanted to do. This is his plan all along. And all of that stuff in the law, all that stuff in the prophets was preparing us to know Jesus and to see his work. Jesus is the end of the law. In Christ, Romans 8, 3, we read that to begin our time together today. In Christ, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And our sin, when we read the law, it compounds our sin. The, tr the stronger we try to be against sin, the harder we try to work to achieve righteousness, the more we fail. But Jesus did not fail. And as a result, his righteousness can become ours. And that leads to point number two. Not only is he the end of the law in the sense that everything was pointing us to prepare us for the work of Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law by obeying it. So he actually displays what it looks like to, to live according to the law that God gave. Jesus doesn't discard one element of God's law. According to his own teaching, to do that would make him the least in the kingdom of God. Do you remember that? Verses 18 and 19. I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, the smallest letter, not a dot, the smallest marking, will pass from the law until all of it is accomplished. Therefore, who relaxes one of, these or one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't diminish or dismiss any part of the law. 
To do so would mean he's the least in the kingdom and he is the greatest. So certainly he elevates and fulfills every single requirement according to the law. Hear me. Jesus, as the author of the law, perfectly fulfills the law. He loved God perfectly. And he loved others perfectly. And remember, that's the essence of the law, right? Do you remember when Jesus is asked, hey, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And what does he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, all of the law can be summed up in that, those two things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Is there anybody in the history of the world that has done that better than Christ? No. He did those things perfectly. There was no sin in him, no division of will between him and the Father. The Son of God obeys his Father perfectly, and as a result, he is approved and he pleases the Father. He shows us what true righteousness looks like. See, the law reveals what's inside. The the righteous requirement of God reveals what's inside. And for those of us who are broken, for those of us who are sinful, as we study the law and we try to obey the law, what it's going to reveal is that, hey, we're not good enough. We're not righteous enough. But do you know what it revealed about Jesus? He was perfect. He was holy. He was righteous. The law revealed that of him. And now his righteousness becomes our source of hope. His righteousness becomes the way in which that we can stand for all eternity before a holy and righteous God. Reminded of Revelation chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, as John is having this incredible vision of heaven. And he sees this scroll the unfolding of God's redemptive plan. And he begins to weep because he doesn't think that anybody's gonna be worthy to to open the scroll and to, to put in place the redemptive activity of God. And the angel comes to him and says, John, do not weep. Behold the Lamb of God. He is worthy to take and open the scroll. He's the only one who could do this, and his righteous life upon the law, upon the world, fully fulfilling the law, reveals his righteousness and his unique ability to accomplish the work that God had given him to do. So he fulfills the law and that he's the end of it, he's the thing that's pointing to him, and he fulfills it that he's perfectly obedient to it. And then finally, Jesus reveals the law, or fulfills the law, and that he reveals the full meaning of the law. He brings the teaching that God began through the prophets to its proper end as the greater prophet. As the word of God, Jesus reveals the fullness of God's word to man. He's not abandoning the law or the other teachings of the Old Testament. Rather, he's giving us its fullest sense, which only he can do as the word of God. I want you to hear me this morning. There are dimensions and depths of beauty and the law and the prophets that we would have never seen or understood if not for the teaching ministry of Jesus. When he comes and he begins to tell us of God's expectations, his love, his grace, the kingdom, everything associated with what God is doing for him in, uh, for us in Jesus, it amplifies 
what's happening in the Old Testament to give us greater understanding of what God is doing for us in Christ. He says over and over again, you think you have understood what the law is about, but I'm telling you something different. That's what's going to happen as we move forward through the Sermon on the Mount and Revelation chapter 5. Over and over again, he's going to say, you have heard it said, but I say, as the authoritative teacher, as the greater prophet, he's coming to help us understand what we could not have understood apart from him. And the person and work of Jesus, his teachings and his life, we see the depth and the beauty of the word of God. He teaches us that everything that happened before was meant as a shadow to point us to something greater. It's interesting. He fulfills the law and that he's the end of the law. And his teaching is what tells us that he is the end of the law. That everything that was written was about him. In Christ, he will show us that we are being offered a new covenant. In Christ, he will teach us that we are experiencing a, a new exodus. In Christ, he will teach us that we have been given a new law, that we are being formed into a new people for a new kingdom to sit under a greater king. That we are experiencing a greater release from exile. All of those earthly realities and God's interaction with his, his chosen people were all pointing us to a greater spiritual work that he is doing and will do through Christ. And as a result, when we sit at the feet of Jesus and we hear his teaching, suddenly the Bible comes alive. And he puts the things together in the Bible he gives us a picture that makes everything finally make sense. So, the law matters to Jesus. The prophets matter to Jesus. They are the eternal word of God. They cannot pass away, and they are essential to our understanding the redemptive work of God. He's not abolishing them. He's bringing them to their proper end. So he says, you should love the law. You should love the prophets. You should know them and you should seek to obey them. You should teach them diligently and seek to understand them through my explanation, through my teaching, because it is authoritative. Because there's a danger if you don't understand them rightly. And we get to that at the end of our passage this morning. For I tell you, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What a shocking statement from Christ. And you've got to think about how stunning those words are to the audience that's listening to him. Remember, the Pharisees were the rock stars of this time, right? Nobody holier than them. They were obeying the law and they were obeying all the laws around the law that they made. Nobody knew the, the word of God better than the scribes. They just wrote it all the time. How on earth, Jesus, can we be more righteous than them? And Jesus says that's exactly the point. They've misunderstood the purpose of the law, and as a result, they've led you to misunderstand the purpose of the law. And I'm telling you, you can follow their teaching 
You can follow their example. You can follow what they say it takes to earn the favor of God, but you've got to be more righteous than them. More righteous than them. And by the way, it will never be good enough. Because what they're teaching you is that righteousness happens from the outside in. That if you just be obedient enough, if you just do the right things enough, eventually your outward actions are going to have a, 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 an effect on what is internal in you, what's inside you. But I'm saying the kingdom of God works differently. Transformation, according to the, the work of God, doesn't happen from the outside in, it happens from the inside out. And there's no amount of behavior that you can undertake to change what's going on in your heart. No, I got to do something new. I'm going to write the law on your heart and on your mind through the work of Christ. The only way you can be righteous enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven is to take on my righteousness that I am freely providing for you. You cannot be good enough, friends, hear me, to be fit for the kingdom of heaven. You cannot obey the law enough. Even with all the other restrictions in place, all it's gonna do is reveal the sin in your heart, the unfitness for the kingdom in your life. But Jesus offers a different way. As the fulfillment of the law, he perfectly obeys the law so that those of us who come under his sacrifice can receive the righteousness that is his and thus be declared fit for the kingdom of God. When you repent and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, his blood covers you. Not just for a moment, for all of eternity. And when the father looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees his son. And that is what makes us fit for the kingdom of God. I hope that you see the benefit for the Old Testament here. I hope you see the, the way that it's preparing us for Jesus. And I hope you give glory to God for his redemptive plan of salvation that he has put fully together in Jesus that is the source of our hope now and for all of eternity. How can we respond this morning to what we've seen here in Matthew chapter 5? How does, how does this text lead us to be different in our everyday lives today as we anticipate the return of Christ when he takes us home? Let me just offer you a few points of application about how we can be different, more committed to Christ as a result of our time in this passage here. Three, in fact, firstly, we should love the Old Testament as the word of God and teach it diligently. You know, there's a number of people who think the Old Testament doesn't matter. And they only teach the New Testament. They only spend time in the New Testament. I want you to hear me this morning. The Old Testament matters. It matters. All these stories, these vacation Bible school stories, they matter. And not just because they teach us what it, what it looks like to be a set-apart people. Because of how they prepare us for Christ. You cannot understand what God has done for you in Jesus without the foundation of the Old Testament. It's what prepares us and sets up the work of Christ. So friends, we should love it. We should read it diligently. But Jared, and my Bible reading plan, you've never read through Leviticus. Yes, I have. And every time you see one of those stringent laws, you should give praise to God that Jesus Christ has fulfilled it for you. Because he knew them and he did them. 
Testament is such a benefit. Let's, let's read it, let's study it, let's teach it so that we can have a greater appreciation for the work of Christ. And by the way, we can have a greater appreciation of how God was preparing us through history for what Christ was going to do because when we have Christ as the picture, we read the Old Testament differently. So let's love the Old Testament. Let's teach it. Secondly, let's make sure we guard our hearts against fleshly responses to the Old Testament and the Word of God largely. I think there are two possible fleshly responses to the Old Testament. The first is legalism, moralism, where we fall back into this trap that I'm responsible for my salvation and my obedience is what gives me good standing before the Lord. And so I'm trying as best I can in my own effort to obey every single thing that God has asked me to. And slowly, self-righteousness begins boiling over into pride. And I begin to look around and I begin to say things like, man, I know I had a bad day, but at least I'm not as bad as they are. And I start feeling good about my standing before the Lord because of my own obedience. Friends, there's a problem there. If the Old Testament teaches you anything, it doesn't matter how obedient you are for a season, your heart and your sinfulness will come out. And if there's any sin in your life, and all of us have sin, none of us will be fit to stand before a holy and righteous God. There's another side too, though. That as we see the fulfillment in Christ, to not think that the Old Testament matters at all. And we become indifferent toward the, the commands of the Old Testament. Now certainly, hear me, the Old Testament applies to us differently today. We don't have to worry about ritual purity because Christ has made us pure. We don't have to, to worry about continued sacrifice because Christ died once and for all for our sin. But the moral dimension of the Old Testament still matters as we seek to be a set-apart people for the glory of God. The Ten Commandments are still good things to live by. As we seek to, to love God and to love others. So don't discard those things. Just make sure you approach them from the right perspective. There's a, a danger in saying, well, I've got God's grace so it doesn't really matter what I do because the grace will cover me. Well, remember Paul's answer to that. What shall we say? Shall we, uh, shall we abound in sin so that God's grace may abound? Certainly not. So let's sit in that right balance. Not approaching the, the text of the Old Testament and increasing in our morality, our own self-sufficiency, or discarding what God has said is good. And finally, let us rest in the finished work of Christ. The only way we can have that right balance of not being too moralistic or too licentious in how we approach the Old Testament is to sit in the finished work of Jesus. To remember, it's not the outside working in, but the inside working out. The righteousness that Christ has given to us that is working its way out into our life. That's the goal of sanctification, friends, of growing in Christ's likeness. We want our outside to look like what God has said inside. And not from a, a place of obedience in the sense that it's trying to achieve salvation, but because we're secure and what Christ has already done on our behalf. Love that moves us toward pleasing God in 
obedience. If you feel like obedience is a chore and weighty, too hard for you to do, you're right. And you've missed the teaching of Jesus, at least in part. I want you to hear what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Quit striving on your own to do what you cannot do. And I will give you rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know the, the picture of the yoke, right? That farmers at this time would join two oxen together with the yoke to do the work that one of them could not do on their own. Here's what Jesus is saying. The work of obedience, of tilling this land is difficult and you can't do it on your own. So I'm gonna let you become attached to me. And guess what? I'm going to do the work for you. You just got to ride along. But it's going to show up in your life because of what I have already accomplished. And so, obedience and growing in Christ's likeness does not become a chore. It becomes a joy as the work of Christ flows outward from into your life. I'll just ask you to sit. Are you resting in the provision of Jesus today? Are you still trying to please God in your own effort? Obedience matters. And God has made provision when we fail. But it all has to come from a place of acknowledging the work of God in Christ that's transformed your heart and is moving outward. So, did you bow your heads? Spend some time before the Lord asking him to help you know how to respond. If you are in Christ, do you love the Old Testament, the word of God, because of how God has revealed himself and his plan of salvation through it? Do you delight in how the law leads you to your Lord? Are you resting in the work of Christ? Are you still, more often than not, trying to please the Lord in your own strength? And you notice you're becoming legalistic and unkind and uncharitable. Or maybe you don't consider the law at all and you're just taking the grace of God for granted. Both of those things are poor responses to what God has done for you in Jesus. Would you rest, commit to resting in greater ways in the work of Christ today? And for those of you who are outside of Christ, maybe you're feeling the burden this morning of obedience. And you, you feel a heaviness in trying to please God that you would love to be taken away. And let me just say to you this morning, Jesus is offering you rest. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you could be saved. And in that moment of salvation, Jesus will extend to you his righteousness so that you can be fit for the kingdom of God. There's no better response to this text than that, I can assure you. Father, would you help us know how to respond? Holy Spirit, lead our hearts and obedience. Find us faithful, we pray, in the name of Jesus.
Let's stand and offer a, a song of praise as our first response this morning.